This rebuttal conversation was brought to you by the patrons of the Rereading Wolf podcast. time arguing arguing about <laughs> sorcerer's house and short sun and <laughs> so um let's see how do we sit? let's go ahead and start now okay so when we first started craig and i seem to disagree about a lot of things and now on this one topic we are in violent agreement <laughs> right and i'm totally opposed to it. Yeah, <laughs> right no, that's completely perfect. yeah that's perfect all right so let me do a little intro all right so we brought mike farrar in to talk about or when I'm being guilty, but Mark is still in pretty emphatic disagreement about or when is self-evident total innocence in killing her family. So this is good because we have all these people saying we totally couldn't imagine that anyone thought differently than we did. But Yes. And so, all right. So one of the things that I want to talk about is, is one of my heuristics for Wolf, right? And I just want to make clear what I mean by heuristic. What do you, when I say heuristic, what, what do you think that I mean? What, what is a heuristic? That's your approach. It, it's not necessarily a guaranteed approach. It may not even be the optimal approach, but it's a useful approach. Mm -hmm. Methodology. Yeah. Yeah. What I use to get to the conclusion, right? So when I can't solve it logically, I use the theme, right? And I do think that there are dominant themes in a lot of the stuff that Wolf writes, and especially in New Sun. And there, there's a kind of a double theme that is married. And one of them is that you have to kind of cut off the past to go forward, right? And the other is that eventually, eventually, justice will be done and evil things or the lesser good will serve a greater good in the long run. And so I think both of these principles can be seen in the execution of Morwina. And first, I want to um, talk about something that happens at the very end of Shadow of the Torture. So one of the last images before, like his, um, you know, where he says bye, you know, at the gate. The last thing he does is he gets mad at that driver and he tries to pull him off because he wants to perform twin apricots, which is basically he's going to rip that guy's testicles off. And so that's one of the final images of Shadow of the Torture. That should remind you of something that, that happened to the Autark, right? The, the threat of testicles being removed. And this is actually a key thing that's going on here is how, how do we respect our progeny? Right in this area, the green man has also been met and he gives that prophecy your offspring, right, will be in battle with you. And so Morwina is accused of killing her own child and husband. And so later on, Severine will reiterate her guilt several times in, in Citadel, right? He'll say, oh, when, you know, Morwena poisoned her family, it was no doubt because she was in love with her past, you know, and I can find the quote in a minute. But one of the things that I want to talk about here is justice in Gene Wolfe. And so I actually have something I'm going to read, and then we can talk a little more, and then I'll probably talk a whole lot more. But back uh, 20 years ago or so, when I first started corresponding with him, 
I asked him, Thecla has a really good argument against religion. Could you maybe respond to it as you would? What could you say to her about how the God... She basically says that her religion is going to be that there is no Agatha demon or afterlife. And a successful religion requires a contradiction because she's going to say that this was revealed to her by an angel of ice when she was living among the the tortures and severians as well isn't that a contradiction if you have this message when there's no 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 god and she says precisely in that contradiction will reside the appeal of this new belief one can't found a novel theology on nothing and nothing is so secure a foundation as a contradiction look at all the great successes of the past they say their deities are the masters of all the universes and yet require grandmothers to defend them as if they were children frightened by poultry, or that the authority that punishes no one while there exists a chance of reformation will punish everyone when there is no possibility anyone will become the better for it. There we go. That's it. And so this is Wolf's response to that. He says, you asked me to respond to Thecla. It's easy. Who says God requires grandmothers to defend him? No theology known to me teaches any such thing. God is so loved that all manner of people will rush to his defense. That only proves they want to help, not that he needs their help. Or that the authority that punished no one while there exists a chance for reformation will punish everyone when there's no possibility that anyone will become the better for it. There is so much to be said against that that it's hard to know where to start. First of all, God has made our world in such a way that sin, real sin, is punished and punished proportionally. That does not mean that theft, for example, is punished in proportion to the amount stolen. It's punished in proportion to the evil of the act. If I steal from someone who loves me, I will be punished more severely than if I steal from someone who merely likes me. But I will be punished more for that than for stealing from a stranger. If I steal from an enemy, I may not be punished at all, but I may, depending on the circumstances. Conscience punishes us to begin with. So does fear of justice or of revenge, which in such cases is merely private justice. Our character becomes known to others. Their behavior affects ours, which in turn affects our behavior toward new people who do not know our reputation. All right, so I'm going to pause there, and then I'm going to finish reading this letter here. So he he gave me like, you know, a two and a half page response to this. But basically he's saying that, hey, there are things that happen when we transgress and when we sin, and that we're punished in proportion, and that it just works that way. And he honestly believes this, right? It's almost like karma, except, oh, so he, he goes on. He says, obviously you can imagine a character who steals with impunity, concealing his nest from everyone and is rich, happy, and secure, but try to find one in real life. Let me emphasize that this system is not the result of God stroking his chin and measuring out punishment. It is as automatic as gravity. Also, that little if any such punishment results when we don't think we've acted wrongly. If you honestly believe you're justified in killing anyone who insults you, you may not be punished at all when you do it. Simple societies often work on exactly that basis. In the same way, you may not be punished for selling drugs if you believe what you're doing isn't wrong. When my mother was a young woman, it was perfectly legal for doctors to prescribe opium. She had one of those prescriptions. Neither her doctor nor her pharmacist felt they were doing wrong. Was Thomas Jefferson punished for owning slaves? Of course not. Second, justice requires punishment. All right, so I'm going to read that again. Justice requires punishment. If we do wrong, 
do not repent and make no restitution and die without suffering sufficiently for what we've done. Punishment is meted out after death. I expect quite a bit of that. This punishment is not meant to make us better people. It's meant to complete a just creation, which it does. Third, damnation is not really punishment. It is the result of the individual's rejection of God. If I reject God at death, for me, there is no God after death. In other words, God, whom I've rejected, evens the scales by rejecting me. Justice again, but not punishment. And so there's a couple more paragraphs I'm going to read here. But basically, you hear a word repeated over and over and over. Justice, justice, justice. What happens at the trial of Severian? The enemies of the new son fight for him. They give a particular reason. Because they were treated justly. When Morina is executed, he says, let the divine handle justice. This is a theme of the story. All things will eventually serve that greater justice, even though they don't seem to at first. This is like one of the things, those themes that's embedded in the story. This idea of justice that sometimes requires punishment and sometimes requires that things be cut off when, when they're faulty or when they're a relic of the past. Um, so three more short paragraphs. Last, it simply isn't true that God punishes everyone. If Thecla means that people who've done nothing wrong go hungry at times, then it is the result of the absence of food. Circumstance isn't punishment. The blind man is not blind because he has sinned, nor is he blind because his parents sinned, which is more than enough, I hope, for a letter. Books on this could be written and probably have been, but I won't write one. The defendants, Dostoevsky and Wolf, plead necessity, and here it comes, and that was in the letter. That's a sick, right? Here it comes. Justice. We labor to make characters talk as much men and women would or might. Not to do so would be unjust to the character and to the reader. So really, right, Wolf is extremely concerned with the idea of justice, and this is mentioned in the execution of Morwina as something that the divine has to take part in. And so one of the things that happens in this scene is that a woman accuses Morwina for the wrong reasons without evidence. Eusebius says, I wanted your husband, and I have got you to this point where you're killed. But she doesn't understand that Morwina is a poisoner and has actually done what she thought she didn't. So justice is served because the poisoner is executed, and then the person who accused her falsely according to that belief that she had actually got her come up and says, well, because she knew that she had done wrong. And so Morwina is able to poison her with the flowers there. And the poison bouquet is something that is going to come back because this flowers later when Morwina is mentioned as someone who punishes, it's in conjunction once again with the, the death flowers at the necropolis. And he's thinking of the water. And so, so many of these images are overlaid. We have the green man here in this scene as well. And we know what he pretends. So we have this idea of justice that has no real physical cause and effect that's divine. And so when we look at the execution scene in a little bit, after you guys have maybe rejoined or, or responded, you'll see that Severian actually says, let the divine handle justice. And it is handled in this. And that's the way everything is handled in the long run in New Sun. And there's another thing I'm going to get to, but I want to let you guys respond. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, firstly, I want to ask. We agree that the justice of the Commonwealth is not just. 
right? It will serve justice. I mean, not everybody who goes to the to the oubliette is actually guilty of anything. This this is something this is something that I wanted to talk about. Why was Thecla there? It's because she was a spy. And was she a spy? Yeah. Okay. But that doesn't mean everybody No. Severian acknowledges that not everybody who goes there is guilty of anything. And it doesn't really matter. The torturers don't care. Right. They don't care about justice. But eventually Severian will go there to reform it. So eventually justice will be done. But in this case, right, where there's nothing he can actually do to influence it, justice is still done. And he will insist later, right, several times that Marwina is the poisoner. And he'll give a particular reason that I want to talk about thematically. And it is also the reason that Malrubius's talk of government is so important because he talks about how there is no line of succession in that highest form of government. It's something that has always existed and always will. And yet there's this complex relationship between the old and the new and new son that I think is another one of the major themes, right? Like the, the offspring that exist cannot really continue as they are. They have to change, right? They have to change. It's not the same as they were before. And so let me um, just real quickly find those those quotes from... Well, before you do, before you, I have some more. So I am really a little surprised to have you argue so vociferously that uh, from the text that what Severian says, given that you are one of the people who convinced me, well, structurally I was primarily convinced, but it was your emphatic argument for the fact that the chaos at the Piteous Gate was not caused by the Ulans that caused me to examine that and say, well, look, everywhere Severian talks about that event, he says it was caused by the Ulans. Because it made no sense plot-wise. But they were not. Okay, but he's not saying that the event was caused by the Ulans. He's saying they were involved in the disturbance. He says they attacked the travelers. Yes, they attacked the travelers because they went on the road. They were forced on the road by something. You can leave the gate and not get on the road. That's the whole point of traveling by some other means. They're like, don't step on the roads, but you can still travel through the forest. They would say you can't pass through the gate if you couldn't step off the road. Are you suggesting that, that Haythor might have released a monster? at the end of that gate and everyone runs on the road and the, and the Ulan say, let's go attack the people. Yes. Because that's their job. Oh, I don't know that Mark. (laughs) It it was chaos. That's the thing. It was chaos at the gate. Okay. Well, it makes no sense for the plot. Well, I mean, in that case, it could be chaos. I mean, with chaos going on. Yeah. Yeah. That, that one, but go ahead, James, you had more stuff. This was something something we had discussed before that I do not take everything that Severian says as gospel. And I think in this case, a lot of the weight that Morena is guilty is has to do with taking what Severian says as absolutely true because he said it. Yes, because transcendent truth comes through in dreams. You see, that's the thing. Like this is the other thing that that um, Craig especially doesn't seem to believe in that transcendent truth can have no reason in the text that it's not like metafictionally placed in by Wolf to reflect a greater plot thing and it doesn't need a reason. So Talos doesn't have to be in cahoots with the Hera Jewels or have any reason to know it because time has a way 
of reflecting itself backwards, even when Severian goes back and tells his own story, which includes relating the play. Eventually, that could be written without any direct knowledge of destiny, let's say, from Talos. It could have just came out that way because of propinquity or because that was providence. And so you don't need a direct reason. It just works that way. And so, so many times in the text, it, a transcendent truth is shown through dream. And at the beginning, he has that dream of Marwina and Chad. And that's the opening image there. And her husband sweltering and the boy drinking. So he knows it because it's a transcendent truth that has come through that way. You know, like that's, that's one of the things that's going on. And you guys are very skeptical of that. Always, always, always skeptical of the transcendent truths. Like Baldander's, um, the, the dream that Severian has about Baldander's, it reflects two truths. He's going to fight Baldander's in that way. And then when Baldander's floats up, even though it's above land, right, the land will eventually be flooded. Those are two truths combined into one dream. It's a transcendent dream. So it's not necessarily logically one-to-one, -one, but it tells several truths at the same time. Severian is privy sometimes to these kind of revelations that occur. And this is, this is one of those, I think, moments where he says, divine justice, leave justice to the divine. I think thematically, this is something that happens that bad will take care of itself. It'll cancel out other bad. So Morwina and Eusebia both get what's coming to them because just like the monsters of Hilor will save Severian from other dangers, just like the, the Eidolons of the enemies of the new sun will fight for the coming of the new sun, over and over, bad things cancel each other out. The Alzebo, for example, the Alzebo will kill, right, the family, but then it will fall in love with them and it will try to save them from, um, I said the Zoanthropes, I'm trying to remember what, what that group was called. Right. Yeah. It was overthrows. Right. Yeah. From, from the zoanthropes. So bad things cancel each other out over and over and over. And so the ultimate case of this maybe not working is where you have something really bad happen to little Severian when he touches the ring there, but that allows big Severian to finally defeat Typhon and eliminate that threat from the future. So you do have a really bad thing happening there, right? I think that's one of the hardest things to justify in this, in this whole thing, right? Um, at the end of Earth of the New Sun, that final chapter is all about how so many people would starve if death wasn't one of the gods, the sleeper god that was important, that had this vital role so that life could continue. And here you see Eusebia, the false accuser, taken out by the murderer. They've taken each other out. And this happens, this is a pattern in the book that happens throughout the entire book and it's consistent. It always happens. It happens like every other chapter. Aegea, right? When he spares her, she's going to save him later, right? Um, Vodalus sets him on a path that even though Vodalus is bad, right? It sets him on the path that leads to greater things in the long run. And so this pattern is something that's so embedded in the text that whenever there's an ambiguity about someone's guilt or innocence, you have to look at how it turns out. And here, in this case, she's executed, right? And Severian actually says, right, leave justice to the divine. And it is in the hands of the divine in this scene. I, I think that Wolf actually structures his stories around his belief systems. Unlike Craig, I do think that they reflect something he believes in, that the main point of Earth of the New Sun is theodicy. This is how you justify, right, death 
evil, pain, suffering, because it leads to transcendence that is more permanent than those impermanent states. And even in the case of death, sometimes someone can stand over a body and say, why did I die? You didn't really die if you're standing over your own body. Something survived it, right? And so I see that this scene is an example of justice where evil cancels out evil. And I think Severian sees it that way as well. I don't see it as a failure. Greg? Oh, no, I'm just, I'm thinking now, because I, I mean, eventually I agree with you on the bigger issue there about, you know, the, about the theodicy aspect. I'm, I'm wondering if there's a way to keep that theme and I, I'm actually working on it right now in my head, <laughs> but, but a way to keep the theme intact, but maybe to read the scene a little bit differently. <laughs> and there may be, there may not be, I will say that, I mean, that's, that's a convincing way to put it, but you see- to put it together like that. I mean, I, I absolutely will give you that. Um, so this is the problem. This is the problem. We don't know, right? We don't, we don't have absolute knowledge. And so when I'm saying, when I use a heuristic, I'm applying a theme to a situation where I don't know, and it leads me to the conclusion. And so I'm very certain of the conclusion because of the theme of the book. Uh, James kind of argues that there's multiple themes. I think Wolf structures huge, big themes that are the dominant ones. Like in Short Sun, it's self-denial and self-abnegation, an inability to recognize something. We talked about the sailor who sailed after the sun earlier before we were recording. And one of the themes in that is that lost things won't be lost forever. And that's how I can make conclusions. That's like my final test is my conclusion sound does it fit the major theme and so i really feel that morena as an opening scenario it's important and it's also why i honestly believe that the autark was castrated and could never be a woman because cutting off the past is one of those things that has to happen um and it's it's explicit in the text right it's something that's explored and morena is part of that because she poisoned her child Right, because she was so yearning for a past before they existed, she was willing to poison it. And that's reflected in the evolution of humanity in a different way. The poisoning of the seed, right? That's what they talk about in eschatology and Genesis. So she's tied up in that imagery too. She's a part of that theme, and she's guilty for poisoning that seed. Do they ever explain her motivation then at all? Yes, I'm going to get to that in Citadel here. So real quickly, let me find it. Okay. Um Dorcas, this is in Citadel, I think. Yeah. Which chapter is it? Anyway, Dorcas belongs, I now realize, to that vast group of women, which may indeed include all women who betray us, and to that special type who betray us not for some present rival, but for their own pasts. Just as Morwina, whom I had executed at Saltus, must have poisoned her husband and her child because she recalled a time in which she was free and perhaps virginal. So Dorcas had left me because I had not existed, had as she must unconsciously have seen it failed to exist in that time before her doom fell upon her. And he's also going to think of her again when he's looking at the death flowers there because she's tied up in the flower imagery as well, the poisonous flowers, the things that Dorcas puts in her hair. There's all these things that connect all of these scenarios. It's really kind of interesting to look at the way that that Severian lines them up later. But yeah, uh, a love for the past. Like she wanted to be as she was before. Yeah. Um, so, okay, the Autark. Let's, let's real quickly talk about Malrubius's forms of, of government here because I think that's also tied up in the actual, the actual coming of the new sun, that it is something new 
that hasn't been seen before. There is no line of secession, right? That's the key takeaway, I think, from that is this kind of authority. There's not a line that you can follow. It's something innate, right? It's not as if it comes through, you know, like you inherit it. It's even greater than monarchy. It's something else. It's something higher than monarchy. And um, when we get to that scene in eschatology and Genesis, they talk about the winter killed stocks of man and how something new is coming and how Nod wanted to marry into it. And Jahi or maybe Jaterna's goal was to kind of corrupt that seed stillborn. And yet it has to continue, but there's a disjunction between what was and what is. And so that flower imagery is also um, repeated in that talk of the cycle, the, the, the universal cycle where it like a new flower blooms, it's a new universe. And so that's kind of also humanity blooming into what is the green man who also shows up in the scene. So there's like death and the flower, right? And so the image of, of Eusebia wanted Morwena's husband. And so like there's all kind of complex things about wanting to take on and assume a pre-existing family, but then it's all cut off somehow. Right. This is this is part of that pattern. And it's not as if I can logically explain it, but there's like little parallels in these situations where eventually mankind is going to be cut off and something new is blooming from it. And he shows up in Saltus as well. Right. The, the green man there shows up here and he's trapped. But Severian acts justly by giving him half of his whetstone and setting him free. And so I do think that one of the major themes is the way that justice works, not through cause and effect, but just through providence and through like this, this divine means that we can't really articulate that we may not believe in, but that Wolf, I think, certainly believed in. Um, and that he tried to show that through the way that all these coincidences happen that are, they do stretch the bounds of credulity, but so too does the idea that if I know that I've transgressed, that I'm already on the path to punishment that Wolf talked about in that letter. You know, he just, that's one of his beliefs. That's the way he sees the world. And I think that's reflected in his fiction, even though I don't like doing that. I think that when he talks about justice and justice and justice, that's one of the key themes is that justice makes it so that evil will not in the long run either go unpunished or not serve a greater good. The, the, one of those two things will happen. And so eventually we do see that the death of Earth even can serve a greater renewing purpose. And I think, I think, I think all of these little mini scenarios they kind of contribute to that. And that's why it kind of is a picaresque, but it's a picaresque of theme where this pattern is picked up and it's repeated. Because when you go through the rest of Claw the Conciliator, I want you to pay attention to how many times Hedor trying to kill Severian actually saves him. It's a lot. It's oh, trust me. Trust me, Mark. I've paid attention. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's, it's like... Are you kidding me right now? Right. And it's like, Hedor's still trying see, I believe Hedor's still trying to kill him, but eventually those evil intentions actually serve a greater good. So his evil intentions serve good. And I think that's the explanation for it. I don't think we need to say that Hedor is Zadkiel or that Hedor is manipulating things. I think he wants to kill him, but that it's not working because justice is done regardless. Yeah. This is kind of something that I, I've actually, I think maybe uh, on Mike I've talked to Craig about is that how you see this book depends largely on whether you see it primarily as a fantasy or as science fiction. And I confess that I do read it closer to science fiction than fantasy, that I'm unsatisfied with suggestions of things happening just because they do, things happening 
because of it's meant to be that way or because they're ruled by some type of essential magic. To me, I think, even if it's not explained, Wolf has some kind of materialist mechanism for things happening. Okay, and so the, the Harry Jules actually respond to this. Just because you're a materialist like all ignorant people does not mean that materialism is true. Like, that's what they say in Earth of the New Sun, because those materialist explanations, they eventually fail, right? That's, that's something that I think Wolf was also trying to make a point of in the progression of, of the way that these sublime mysteries... It's not difficult for me, from, let's say, a typical Christian point of view, to say, hey, I can't live forever unless I die. That is no problem, right? That is not a contradiction. Uh, even like a book like Ecclesiastes, where it says, oh, vanity of vanities, the vanity of life. It's not a problem if there's an immortal spirit, if there's an afterlife. No longer is the vanity of life and its temporal, um, you know, flightiness and fickleness. It's not a problem anymore once I put aside those material expectations. And so I do think that Wolf will provide some material explanations. But even in this chapter that we were talking about, uh, somewhere around where Maureen is executed, there is the character that says, have you never thought that maybe the rules of reality were set up so that the divine could kind of actually serve, like the, the ten of the pillories, that the symbol had to be, um, you know, manifest through physical laws that were set up so that the symbol could be manifested, right? That's an explanation that we get. And that's very mystical, that just from the start of time, it was wound up in such a way that this symbol had to manifest itself. And it's said better in the text, right? It really is. But um, you, you, I think you know the scene I'm talking about, right. right? Has it ever occurred to you that that's the way the world is because it needed this divine symbol at that time? And so, yeah, it's the tea shop lady, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, I believe that Wolf sincerely thinks that way. I honestly do. And I don't always like to go back to, to the biographical stuff or his beliefs. But I think that in this particular novel, in the Book of the New Sun, He's playing with a lot of those themes, right? A lot of those. But isn't that the perfect example of what I'm saying? That, yes, it was the, the rising of the temple was a miracle and it had religious significance. It was a sign. And yet it was caused by all sorts of mechanical reasons. Yes. Not only the fact that you have pure physics that causes the heat to rise and the temple was designed to be able to do that but also because if Severian hadn't taken the claw, then he then it wouldn't have been burned. Okay, yes, yes, of course. And another thing, though, is that all of Hedor's little accidents do have material reasons, like the salamander on the cliff. The, 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 the temperature there creates a situation where Severian can get away. So, like, there are still material reasons, but there's still the hand of providence because otherwise Severian would never have run into the claw. Like, that's just something that happened. Maybe. <laughs> yes, it's it's shaped by certain forces. But, like, I still think there's providence working in this. And I'm not skeptical of providence in a book. Mm -hmm. uh, I wouldn't be skeptical of it in Dickens. I wouldn't be skeptical of it in Wolf. I might be. Well, heck, I, I'm not skeptical of it in real life. Okay. The whole thing is. My presumption is that in a wolf story, he's got his little Rube Goldberg device going and he's having all these things work out the way he wants them to. Fair enough. But I think sometimes the answer is just there's some transcendence that's peeping through the curtains there, you know, and that, that like 
there is a hand that's guiding things, but we don't actually see it directly. And I, I think that it's, I think it's very hard for me to read these texts without some knowledge that there's some guiding intelligence behind it. And there's a will that's kind of shaping certain things. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. I think that's true. But uh, we actually had this conversation, Craig, early on. I think it was a conversation that you and Mike Benowitz had had that this book is like, it's an anti-atheist story because God is nowhere and yet you see him acting everywhere. Right. Right. Yeah. So my thing about Merwinna, in the long run, this may be a smaller point because I I agree with you about what you're talking about with the theodicy and how how evil in in new sun in long sun and short as well that that evil always turns to good yeah i mean i think that earth of the new sun is the one place where that's absolutely made clear and and it sort of it affects how i read everything else i just wonder if the case of morwenna actually works differently and and i guess here's here's my reason why like the thing that really strikes me this time is how concerned to me severian seems about Merwinna and that he, I, I get the sense and, and maybe this is subjective, but we, we talked about this in the last couple of times that and I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk about that. Yeah. Too. But, but he gets, he seems to me really worried and almost doing the, the sort of protesting too much or worried and saying, no, I'm not worried at all about whether or not she was true. And Jonas is even like, aren't you, are you okay? Did, did, did um, but, but, but this is just part of it scene. though, because that, that makes me wonder if it, Part of the point, if the way I read it, which is that Severian says that she's guilty in order to sort of make himself feel like, yeah, things are actually okay and I did the right thing, that what he has is just too narrow a perspective at this point of how, basically how that theodicy would work out and how how evil will compensate, you know, and, and be turned to good in the long run. And so he's still at this point kind of got too narrow an idea and he's got to think, Oh, I did the right thing still. It's all okay. Because, because she was false. Whereas what really happens in the long run is that this is a place where, where Severian's got to learn to think beyond himself and to, it, it's messier. I'm not explaining it well. But he never does. He never does. He never gets past accusing her of being a poisoner. Like, well, he never changes his mind. You're right. Yeah, he never he never does that. And um, and honestly, in some ways, that actually makes her still fighting for him in Earth even more interesting. Um, and maybe- and remember, everyone who fought for him was bad. Oh yeah, yeah. And and I think everyone is is bad in some way. I mean, right. So yeah, that's true. That's true. Oh well, many people who fought with him were bad too. Yeah. <laughs> So, so that's what, just a way of saying, it's not that I disagree with you in the big picture. It's just that I, I still have questions about this particular episode and how it fits that idea. But yeah. So, so let me just, let me just read this very quickly. This is the actual scene where Jonas expresses his concern. And I think I read this differently than you guys, even though I haven't heard the episode. Let's make that clear. I haven't heard the episode. Uh, this is all an isolated recording. Oh, then you'd be totally convinced when you do. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe. <laughs> he hasn't heard episodes, chapter five, where Severian and, and Jonas are talking in the in the uh, hotel, but that's okay. Yeah. And I actually, I haven't even, yeah, I haven't caught up to the. So he's like, what have you, it's your first time after all. He shrugged. I only have to fetch and carry. You've done it before. I wondered because you look so young. Yes, I've done it before. Never to a woman. You think she's innocent? I think this is a question. He's like, Hey, do you think she's innocent? It's not like, 
you think she's innocent. It's a question mark. She's like, hey, do you think she's innocent? And he's like, yeah, I think Craig and I read that question with very far more in- yeah. emphasis. Yes. And then he says, I'm sure she's not. I went down and talked to her last night. They have her chained at the edge of the water where the midges are bad. I told you about it. Right. And then he goes on to talk about how she's kind of like Thecla, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to fast forward just a little bit. And Eusebia is talking about how I killed her. Eusebia is there like, ah, ha, ha. I killed her, Eusebia screamed. Not you. I called down to her, if you'd like. Innocent. I knew her. So careful. She would have kept something back, poison for herself. She would have died before you got her. He either grasped her arm and pointed to me. My master, mine, my own. So it was somebody else, her sickness after all. I shouted, to the demiurge alone belongs all justice. The crowd was still noisy. Yeah, but he's the, yeah. This is this is the Severian who's up on the on the scaffolding, clowning around with Morwenna's head and playing it up to the audience. He's he's not clowning. He's doing his job. Oh, no, look, 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 whoa, 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 whoa! He takes her head and he acts like he's going to throw it into the audience. Whoops! He's playing it up to the audience. I don't read this execution like that at all. I mean, he's so relieved that he didn't screw it up, and and he's prancing around. He's acting like Mister. Mr. Big Show, he's 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 soaking in the adoring uh, adulation of the crowd. That's what he's supposed to do. That's what he gets paid for. And well, I don't believe it that in any scene in this, Wolf's alliance is with the crowds at the execution. Of course not. No, but I mean, he's he's doing his job. He's 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 playing up. It's it's entertainment. That's what they've been talking about. That's why they're paying him. Uh, you know, and so like here. Well, what do you think, Wolf's perspective on? an execution as entertainment would be. It's it's certainly not an... I mean, there's a reason this world was flooded. Uh, okay. Right? I mean, this is not an ideal world. Yeah, but but couldn't couldn't Marwenna be an example of why this world was flooded? Her execution in this case? Her execution, but her behavior was still... Like, there still had to be some justice in this. And I think this scene serves justice. The demiurge alone belongs justice. And the, the justice was done. And every single time she comes up, Severian talks about the poisoning. He has that dream, that transcendent vision of her at the start and what's happening to her family there, uh, the way that they're dying. And so, like, that is the very next image after, if if we go back to Shadow of the Torture at the end, the guy who's killed and he's going to rip his nuts off, right? Like, like there's, there's something about that juxtaposition. And he even goes into some of the battle there at the scene. Those things are related somehow. That cutting off of the testicles and the severing of the offspring and the husband and the family life of Morwena for a past. It's, it's, um, and why? Why does he pull that man off? Because he threatens Dorcas, the past, right? It's like those scenes- By accident, by accident. Of course, of course. The man was, the man was thrown from his cart and trampled because he accidentally flicked Dorcas in the middle of, of chaos. And Severian wasn't acting out of justice. He was acting to impress Dorcas. What evidence is there that Morwen is innocent? What evidence is there that Morwen because is innocent? Because Eusebius confesses. It's a, it's a false accusation. See, like, she accused her believing she was innocent, but she was wrong. She actually did do that. And so, like... Time turns our lies into truth. This is a huge theme of Claw the Conciliator. It is in this particular volume. Time turns our lies into truths, right? And also, you know, that we're capable only of being what we are. It's our unforgivable sin. He kind of bookends this particular volume. How did Eusebius accuse Morwenna and have it treated as credible? I mean, did she offer evidence or just 
her suspicion. I think it's just her suspicion. And so that was unjust. But justice was done because the false accuser, who doesn't have evidence, is then killed by her own flowers there when Morwena's able to sneak the poison in there. Because she did have it for herself, but then she saw an opportunity because Eusebio was sniffing it. So she saw that opportunity and took advantage of it to kill the person who got her. But she deserved to be gotten. Like, like it's like, I just feel like the scene works so much better if both parties are guilty of something. Yeah, I think, but that's interesting because I find it, it really does work better if she's not. Why? I feel like the scene of Severian's conversation with Jonas afterwards, I feel like the uh, clowning around at the execution, I feel like the dream in advance, how much it was distressing Severian days before the execution. I think it all works better if Marwenna is is innocent, that she was falsely accused. I feel like the execution itself works better if you understand that Marwenna is is innocent, is, but brave. And I think divine justice only served if both are guilty and both are punished for it. So I guess the difference I have in, in how I see it is that I'm, I'm okay with Severian being like getting things wrong here because the story's not done yet. Um, and that we're, Severian actually is going to have different attitudes. I mean, one one way you can look at, especially the first three books, they all begin with a situation where Severian has a woman's life in his hands and he has to sort of choose what to do. In Thecla's case, he does what he thinks he should do. And none of them, none of them were innocent. None of them were innocent. Thecla wasn't innocent. That, that adulteress wasn't innocent. Marwana wasn't in it. Right. But in this, I'm not worried about the women. I'm worried more about Severian and, and his reaction to it. Um, but the pattern, is, the pattern is that none of them were innocent. Fair enough. The, but what then happens is Severian, in the one way you can read it is with Thecla, he takes an easy way out in which he gets banished, but he doesn't actually stand up for his love or something like that. If Merwin is innocent, then he's worried that he did the wrong thing here. And then with Syriaca, he finally gets to a point where um, she's innocent or she's guilty, but I can uh, I can be merciful. But or the punishment doesn't fit the crime, right? And it's and and so you get this sort of progression. My point is that there is another way to to look at that in the pattern that can still it it doesn't break the general idea of you know, justice and injustice. It's just that it's a longer space and that, that it's more about Severian over time as each of these books sort of complicates him a little bit more. He gets closer to understanding what the role of all these things is. And to me, if Merwina is innocent and he's still convinced that she's guilty and that he did the right thing uh, and that there was no guilt with him, then that's a problem because well, no, Severian is still complicit in all kinds of stuff here. But but it's more like over time, he starts to recognize that a little bit more and is much more mature about it. It doesn't mean he becomes perfect. It doesn't, and it also doesn't mean he's, you know, still irrevocably flawed or anything like that, because he does start to understand that, you know, even the things that he's done that are wrong can serve a greater purpose. And, and the people in Earth still support him for that too. So all I'm saying is I think there's another way to look at the specifics of the actions that still fit the general theme like you're talking about. And we may just differ on those particulars about how it works, but... And he thinks about her again at the very end. He thinks of Morwenna. 
He says, the death roses I'd hesitated to pick for Thecla still showed a few autumnal blooms, and I found myself thinking of Morwenna, the only woman whose life I've ever taken, and of her enemy, Eusebia. And so he does think about them again, but he never kind of admits any kind of innocence. But yes, she's a part of that pattern. You're right. There's a pattern of women, and I think they're all guilty. I think that that, that pattern stands there. But yes, his behaviors are different. It does show you his progression, but he never comes to the progression to think that, oh, I was wrong to execute her, right? Like he does come to think that maybe executions are wrong in general, right? Like towards the, towards the end there, but it's not because they're executing the innocent. It's a bigger principle. than Unless that. him sitting there thinking about the death roses and thinking of her and Thecla in the context of these, you know, roses that are beautiful, but sad <laughs> sort of a way to to you know to think about it again because he's not even in that image it doesn't seem like he's just out saying oh yeah and that that horrible person Marwina, glad i offed her you know <laughs> no no but but she took out eusebia with the flower mm -hmm. so i mean like it makes sense that he think about the death roses because that's how Morwena got eusebia i think we see severian as is flawed for different reasons yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we have three different people. We have, we have, and all three of us see him as flawed in different ways. It, it would be, a, it would be a nightmare if we were able to put him on trial. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, let me ask you a question. I'd be like, why did you spare Gia? What was your problem, Severian? Well, that's a good, very good, good point. Not everyone receives justice, do they? <laughs> not only is a Gia not punished for all the men that she led to her deaths, but she becomes the the head of the rebellion against the Autark, working literally for the Autark. But she got punished because she lost the love of her life, but still saves the Autark, but but still saves Severian several times. But she doesn't but she doesn't receive punishment. No, I just think it's really it's to me just to stand all the way back, it's just really interesting how you can agree on the major purpose and then disagree on how the, the details get there. Although I wonder if that's not, I'm not going to say that's Wolf's intention with this, but it does fit the complexity of the issue. I mean, you know, about like if, if everything, we can say that everything works out for the good in the end, but then the very small specifics of which works. Yeah. Well, oh, you know, the, the whole idea of agreeing on the major themes and disagreeing on the details, see my conversation with Mark about long sun, exactly. short sun. Exactly. Anyway. So yeah, even though we've been arguing all night, we're still friends. So, you know, the audience, I don't want them to get the wrong idea that this is actually fun <laughs> for us, right? Most of the yeah. time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. No, it helps learn a lot. Like, I mean, I'll admit what the way you put that scene together, I think makes much more sense in terms of the whole book. And so what I've got to do is still think about, well, you know, what is it about the, the, the story that doesn't jibe with me in that sense? Because you're right. Thematically, the way you put it together really works. So yeah, I just got there. There's still other stuff I got to make fit if it's going to work. No, I'm surprised that I find this, I find this scene so obvious that she's innocent and it is continuously surprising to me the people whose readings I greatly respect who say, oh, no, no, she's definitely guilty of sin. So you don't think she poisons Eusebia? No, no. I think Eusebia killed herself. Oh, my gosh. No, Eusebia didn't kill herself. She came with that plan to kill herself after. And she smelled it before. Yeah, she's. Oh, yeah, she's taking it in. She's taking it in, but she takes the... She smelled it before, and then when Marwina had the chance, she put it in. Eh, that seems improbable. Yeah, I think uh, I think Eusebia announced that she had killed her after, as soon as the election is over. 
I mean, she would have, Marwenda would have to come to the execution knowing she would have a bouquet that she could stuff in there and that she would be sniffing it. No, she was going to use it to kill herself. That's what Eusebia says. She says, I know her. If, if she were here, she'd have poison to save, to kill herself. Well, why not do it before she was executed? Why insist on being executed? Because justice had to be done. So, like, she didn't know it, but, you know, the, the inquiry kind of, like, held her hand until she could be like, oh, here's a chance. Oh. Right here, look. Look, innocent. I knew her so careful. She would have kept something back, poison for herself. She would have died before you got her. And then, so was somebody else her sickness after all. And then he says, to the demiurge alone belongs all justice. She stole my stackies. Now she's gone. Oh, wonderful. She's gone. And she smells the bouquet. And then she dies. So like, so you're saying Eusebia is wrong in believing that Marwenna is innocent. Of course. Because that's the whole point. She falsely accused someone, but it wound up being the truth. Because time turns our lies into truths. But she believed it was not the truth. She came to the conclusion that it was not true. And that's why she deserved to die. And that's why she deserved to die. That's why justice was actually done in this scene. Because she accused someone she thought was innocent. I'm saying Severian has executed an innocent woman and is feeling awful about it and is literally suffering with PTSD over it on the day after. And to some degree throughout the rest of the novel. Yeah. Jonas sees the sees that they're that he's not dealing with it. But yeah, I think uh Eusebia didn't just accuse Marwenna, she framed her. And after as soon as she's executed, Eusebia admits to the crime, ha ha ha, I killed her, you didn't kill her, I killed her, and then she kills herself because that was her plan. Because she's a poisoner. Severian believes that she's innocent, but that he still is worried that she's innocent. Um, and but that's a, that's also a very different thing. was fighting wars. Now, now it's a real fight. Contributing to that new sun future in a way that I think is like a karmic debt being paid. Um, and so that sounds stupid, but you can maybe cut this out. Cut this out. <laughs> <laughs> we cut nothing out. <laughs> if it's good, we're going to keep it. And so like, you know, that's the text that is presented later. Like what the, what Severian actually believes is that Marwena snuck the poison in and he believes in her guilt to the very end. So like, those are the textual facts of Severian. Theoretically, theoretically, I, I'm going to want to actually, when we get to Citadel and he takes those members, I'm going to be taking a look at those passages in context of the entire chapter, which I think is going to be valuable. I will say that if, you know, Mark, I will say this is one spot where if you're right about everything, then maybe this is one spot where the scene, maybe what I'm thinking is that Wolf just wrote it clunkily. 
um, that, that it's, it's one that he's a much better storyteller than that. And just on the, the sense of like, I know so many people who are like, that seems unlikely, <laughs> you know, that, that all the, all the circumstances in this case would line up just right for this one thing. And, and, you know, I think what got me this time is she dropped it in the bouquet, but how did she know she was going to even be close to the edge of the stage? I mean, it's like all these little things like that, that just, it, it just seems so forced. If that's, if that's she the case, know. it's super forced. No, and yeah. And right. She didn't know. It's just one of those things that happened and she saw the opportunity and took it. But this is one of those places where you're like, Oh, you're it's in a book with magic and time travel and all this. And you're worried about like how poison gets from her hand to some flowers. And it's like, well, yeah, but that's, that's sort of storytelling. So no, yeah. well, look, I told you that I was going to be a hard sell on this, I, but I, I mean, what can I say? I, I strongly respect the, uh, the people who off, who believe that Marwenna did it and killed Eusebia. And I find that amazing. <laughs> it's, it's something that says something about these books that I don't, that even I can't quite get my hands around. Right, but Severian, if you just read what Severian says, that's what happened. I know, I know. But you know what? Severian doesn't know everything. He says a lot of things. He says a lot of things that aren't true. Things about women, things about commoners. Right, he does say a lot of things. And they're all true. They're all true. <laughs> can, we, can we cut that out, too? Yeah, we'll cut that out. We'll cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> it would just confirm every one thing everyone thinks about you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, so yeah, we got to find a good stopping point. If there wasn't one before, maybe we should we should make one now. This is uh, we can we can just this is like salami. We can cut it off anywhere we want. Okay, good, so. good, good, good. All right, cool. Yeah, we'll just we'll just close out. In fact, this has gone long enough that I think I'm gonna just segregate this off and do it as okay. a bonus. Sounds good episode because I think it'll be really good. And yeah, try and try and get out where I sound like a super asshole. Try and take out some of those parts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, that's where we'll leave. I'm, in fact, I'm going to cut everything else out except for the parts where you're an asshole. <laughs> yeah, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to stop this because I'm afraid we're going to lose everything. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, go ahead and hit stop recording so we don't lose anything. Okay. All right, here we go. No, it ain't right. First and this was again entirely sponsored by the patrons of the Rereading Wolf podcast. You can go to patreon.com slash rereadingwolf to play a part in bringing other amazing things like this into the world.